This is a cutthroat competitive industry. And sometimes the opportunity you want doesn't exist. And so you have to think through your own personal skills and attributes and figure out how you can create something that melds with your lifestyle and the special skills that you have. Welcome to Hot Coffee, Cold Beer. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks. On this podcast, we'll sit down and share hot coffee or cold beer with the people inside the sports industry on and off the field who make live sports possible. Today's guest is the wonderful Alicia Jessup. Alicia covers sports law and sports business for The Athletic and The Washington Post and is professor of sports marketing at Pepperdine University. You'll hear about how she turned a career as a city attorney into a career of sports service and what it's like to go viral and get featured on Good Morning America Alicia's story is one of resiliency, fearlessness, and being adaptable through all of life's challenges and changes. Alicia exemplifies a find a way or make a way mentality necessary to build upon a career as a sports business professional. Hi, Alicia. It's really nice to have you on. Do you, uh, do you have a hot coffee or cold beer ready to go? I have some coffee, but it's iced. I usually only drink iced coffee. You're throwing a real loophole yeah. in the system here. <laughs> cold, a cold coffee, hot beer type of situation. Here. Yeah, hopefully nobody's drinking hot beer. <laughs> I really wanted to talk to you specifically because, well, one, it's always nice to talk to Broncos fans. Two, your background just naturally digs up so many lessons that I think our listeners need to hear. And then three, this is supposed to be an informational storytelling podcast. So who better to share information than a professor of sports law and sports marketing at Pepperdine University. So I'm really excited to see where this goes, and thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm excited, too. We have you on the show to talk about working in sports, but your first beginnings are actually in the legal world, where you worked for the city of Aurora, Colorado, the Screen Actors Guild, and Warner Music. How did this come about, where you turned this into a career as an attorney, into a career in sports? Like, how did those two worlds collide? (laughs) Yeah, good question. So I went to law school. I started law school in 2006. I graduated in 2009 with the belief that I was going to become an entertainment lawyer. Everything I was doing in law school was tailored to work in the entertainment industry, um, I wanted to be an in-house counsel. So I wanted to be general counsel for, you know, a company like Sony, Warner Brothers, et cetera. And during law school, I did quote everything right. So I had the right internships. I was networking with the right people. I graduated towards the top of my class. I was an editor of the Law Review. I was working at the Screen Actors Guild in law school and it's come back for lunch one day and my assistant is just in a tizzy. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, the world has changed. I'm like, all right. Like it's only been an hour. Like what happened? And I learned that the market had crashed and our country was headed into a recession. And that recession really changed everything. Just like what we're going through right now with COVID and the economy for recent graduates, where you started the school year with this understanding that this is going to be my future. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm getting a job. I know where I'm going to live to putting on your cap and gown and they're not being a job for you. And if you read about the class of 2009, the legal graduates, there's people who graduated from Harvard that were unemployed for 18 months. I was lucky in the sense that I got a job very quickly after taking the bar that summer and I became a corporate litigator in Orange County, California. In the grand scheme of things, everything was fine. Like I had a job. I was living in Orange County by the beach. My friends were working in entertainment. So I was going to red carpet events with celebrities 
celebrities and it was great. But on the inside, like I was dying a slow death because it wasn't what I was passionate about. And I had just given up three years and a couple hundred thousand dollars to pursue this education to meet this goal. I I did some soul searching and I thought back to, okay, Alicia, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? And how can we incorporate your legal education into that? I realized that I was actually really passionate about sports. Sports have always been a central point in my life. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a sports writer. And so I shadowed, I'm from Denver, Colorado. I shadowed the editor of our local newspaper when I was a freshman in high school. And he talked me out of becoming a sports writer. He made it seem like the worst possible thing anyone could do. He told me of all the challenges I would encounter. And after that day, I decided to pursue law school. Here I am in, you know, about at this point, it's 2010, unhappy with my job and realizing that I have, I'm at a crossroads and I need to decide what I'm going to do with my life because I can't keep being miserable. I realize I'm a good writer on top of loving sports. And I have this education that most people don't have as an attorney. And I said, well, what can I do with these three things? And so I brainstormed for a while. And at the time, blogging was pretty popular, like podcasts are today. So I started a sports law blog on July 1st, 2011 called rulingsports.com. There really wasn't anybody covering sports law in a way that non-lawyers could understand at that time. So I built up a following very, 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 very quickly. Um, Overnight, I booked my first radio show because the same day I started the blog, the NBA locked out their players. So I was also in the right place at the right time. Everything just kind of started moving. So that was how I got into sports is I created the opportunity for myself. And that's advice I would give to all of your listeners. This is a cutthroat competitive industry. And sometimes the opportunity you want or the opportunity that fits your your lifestyle needs doesn't exist. And so you have to think through your own personal skills and attributes and figure out how you can create something that melds with your lifestyle and the special skills that you have. What's it like shadowing a sports writer thinking, I want to be a sports writer, and then having him just basically shit all over your dream and saying, hey, don't do this. Pretty terrible. And it's something that I am very aware of now that I'm a professor. So today I'm an associate professor at Pepperdine University, along with being a sports writer um, for The Athletic and The Washington Post. But I meet so many people who tell me their dreams, and I always go back to that point where you never want to be the person where 10 years from now, somebody's like, oh yeah, and Alicia Jessup told me I couldn't do this. I I try to give people insight that I have into the hurdles they might face. For instance, if they want to become a sport agent, here are the hurdles you're going to face. But here's how you can overcome those hurdles. Here's suggestions. It's really changed how I approach just speaking to other people. You always want to be the positive, uplifting person. But yeah, it it didn't feel good. And I think those of us in the industry, we need to be conscious of what we're telling people because everybody has a dream and everybody should have a dream. You you never want to be the person to tell somebody that they can't do something because Brock, when I look back on everything in my heart of hearts, in my soul of souls, I'm a writer. Like I'm a storyteller. And this guy, what he did, like it could have been enough for me to put that dream away, lock it up and never see it again. And what a shame that would have been. There's a couple of really important parts about what you just touched on right there. The first of which being being an adult is overrated (laughs) in the first place. So just because you're an adult doesn't mean you know everything. The other thing is you touch on something extremely valuable 
a lot of our listeners can think back to is the person who told them, hey, no, you're never going to do this. My elementary school teacher told me, you will never go to college, right? In elementary school, you're telling an 11-year-old kid that he will never go to college, which is an extremely obtainable goal. So what if I had listened? And none of this had ever happened. Here's the two-pronged thought to that. One is, well, isn't it great that they told you that so you could use that as motivation? But I look at it on the other side and say, wouldn't it be great if there was a world where that didn't happen, where you didn't have to overcome this? You had Alicia Jessup telling you, hey, you can do this because he was wrong. You were a writer. What a shame it would have been if you hadn't fallen through on your own morals. And so many people listen. So many people listen to the naysayers and it's understandable. Like the human brain is a fragile thing. And if somebody that you trust, like a teacher or somebody that you look up to in an industry is telling you what you can or cannot become, it's very easy to fall into that trap. And so I think to kind of get back to your first question, when I when I look at my path compared to other people's, um, one thing I feel very blessed by is every day I wake up and I'm doing what I want to do. Like I, I love my job as a professor. I love my job as a writer. I love my consulting. I have created this work life That is exactly what I want to be doing. Guess what? Like if there's something I don't want to do, I'm not doing it. I don't have to because I've created a career for myself that cuts that type of stuff out. And so I look at it and I'm like, well, how did you get here? And a lot of it is just, I've always just had a belief that if what I'm trying to do, so long as it doesn't hurt other people or take advantage of other people, I'm going to be able to do it. And it may not be tomorrow. I've always just had this profound belief and confidence that what I want, so long as it's for the greater good, it's going to happen. And I really encourage people to start reading about positive affirmations and start reading about positive thinking, whether it's rooted in a faith or whether it's rooted in psychology. There's a lot to it. And if you start listening to some of the most successful entrepreneurs and creators in the world, one thing that ties them is their thought processes. I operate in a world where there is enough in this world for everyone to be successful at what it is they're supposed to be successful for. I am a supporter of other women. I am a supporter of young people. I'm a supporter of old people because I think there's enough if we're creative enough for us all to succeed. So I think there's a mindset shift that needs to take place, but really globally to see abundance um, and to think positively. So talking about making your own way and kind of carving your own niche in the sports industry, in doing that, you created four jobs for yourself. Let me repeat that. You've Four jobs between writing for the Washington Post, contributing for The Athletic, running your own company, ruling sports, and then being a professor at Pepperdine University. So how do you do all these things at once? Great question. Um, A lot of people are like, wow, you're a real workaholic. All you do is work. And that is definitely not true. So my full-time job, my bread and butter, where all of my energy goes to first is being an associate professor at Pepperdine University. Specifically sought out a role as a professor because I realized it was the job that allowed me to do all of these other things and be an expert and to pour into the lives of young people. So hopefully they find at least one person during their young lives that tells them, I believe in you, even if your dream is to fly yourself to Mars. Like if that's what you want to do, 
you're going to find a woman named Alicia Jessup, and she believes that you can do that. So really soon after I started the website, I signed with an agent. So one day I got an email and the email was like, Hey Alicia, I work for agency in the sports field. We represent coaches and broadcasters amongst other athletes. So I signed this agent. And at that point, I really thought I was going to be on TV, which looking back is kind of hilarious because I had zero TV experience at the time, but he was pitching me to do TV on CNBC. He was pitching me um, for Fox Sports 1. Fox Sports 1 was just getting ready to launch. There were talks about them creating some sort of sport business show. So in my mind, I'm like, yep, I'm going to leave the practice of law and I'm going to be a TV broadcaster. Obviously that didn't happen because I needed a lot more experience for that to come true. And so in the meantime, what I had done is I had left my legal practice in Orange County. So my friend's father was a deputy prosecutor in Colorado. I had interned for him in law school. And he said, Alicia, I know what you're trying to do. I know you want to work in sports. I know you want to work in sports media. Come home, work for me. If you can plea bargain your cases by 10 a.m., I'll let you go back into the office, work on your website, network, do whatever you need to do. That man, his name's George Zirk. He passed away in 2019. I really credit him for where I am today because he gave me a chance. You know, I, He knew I needed an income because of the financial situation I was in, but he gave me a chance to grow my career in sports. So I was there for about 18 months when I realized that the TV thing was going to take longer than I thought it would. And I was like, okay, like I, I can't keep practicing law. This is not where my heart's at. What else would I like to do? And I was a national officer for my sorority at the time, traveling the country to do leadership development with young women in college. And I really liked it. I really liked working with that age group of people. And so I said, oh, I'm going to become a professor. So the same thing, Brock, happened when I started telling people that this was my plan, as it did when I was 14, telling people I was going to become a sports writer. People were like, you're not going to get the job, Alicia. Like You've never taught a class. You haven't published an academic paper you are setting these goals that like people wait their entire lifetime to achieve. So I was like, all right, yep, fair enough. I know that's how you see the world, but I know how my life works and I, I know I'm going to get this. And so I applied for one job. It was at the University of Miami, which was a top 50 research one university in a warm weather destination. My mentor, who's a great man, I'm not going to name him, but he said, Alicia, you'll get an interview, but I don't want you to feel sad when you don't get the job. So it was awesome when about two weeks later, after I interviewed for seven hours, when I was able to call him and say, Say, hey, tell me how to negotiate this salary offer because I got the job. Got into academia in 2013. I left Miami for Pepperdine in 2017. Honestly, Brock, that that's it sounds crazy, but that's how most of my opportunities have come to me. I've done the work inside to understand what I have that I can contribute to other people. And I positively impact people with the skills I've been given. What vessel or what mode of work do I need to go do that? And it's been a wild experience because the opportunities have come. Um, from 2012 to 2015, I was credentialed for a Super Bowl, which was an opportunity of a lifetime, covered the final four. 
uh, the first ever college football playoff national championship, two NBA finals, an NBA all-star game as a member of the credentialed media. So that was incredible. Um, I started working with the Huffington Post in 2013. Same thing happened with CNBC. Hey, Alicia, do you want to write for CNBC? Yeah. Hey, Alicia, do you want to write for Sports Illustrated? Yeah. A year ago around this time, I got probably one of my favorite emails ever. It was from a man named Paul Fichtenbaum, who is now leading The Athletic, but he was the former editor-in-chief of Sports Illustrated. And as a kid, I loved Rick Riley's writing. So Rick Riley, for those of you who are unfamiliar, he had this column in the print version of Sports Illustrated. It was on one of the back pages. And he was just a brilliant writer because he talked about sports through a social lens. So he brought the human element of the industry to life in such a passionate, imaginative way. And I always admired his writing and I always had a dream to write for Sports Illustrated. And so here I am a year ago and I get this email out of the blue from the former editor-in-chief of Sports Illustrated who I would get on the phone with and he would tell me, Alicia... I've been following your work since you started writing in 2011. I've been following you for eight years. And admittedly, there was not a clear place in the industry for your style of writing. But there is now. Join us. And so that that Brock was like the full circle moment. Like that little girl who walked out of... Um, the newspaper office in Denver in 1999 to 20 years later being a woman who didn't give up on her dream, even though the path looked very different than she thought it would, getting that phone call with the resolution that, you know what, you did what you were supposed to do. So this is a very long-winded answer of how I got four jobs. I still only work at most 50 hours a week, and that's only nine months out of the year. The professor part of your four jobs makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's almost like you're fulfilling this part of you, that your path, you were continuously told, no, you can't do something, yet there you did it. And your entire career, you're almost at all times ready for the next opportunity. You don't know what it's going to be, and you don't know when it's going to come, but you're ready. So in this world where you can come full circle as a professor of sports law and sports marketing, you can essentially prepare people for that same opportunity that you never got. Nobody ever said, hey, Alicia, be ready because one of your heroes at Sports Illustrated is going to come around and offer you a job. But if you pass the message along, you could make just as much of an impact. Also, were you recently on a game show? Like, did anybody tell you that you couldn't win the game show? Uh, Yeah, a lot of of people did. And for once, they (laughs) they were right. So the game show was pretty embarrassing. I'm fearless, like, because what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm still going to be healthy, sure. Like, maybe my ego takes a little bruising, but I think that's good every once in a while to get your ego bruised. A couple months ago, I got an email about a trivia show that was being cast in Los Angeles. And then the next thing I know, I was cast for the show, and it was called Masterminds <laughs> that put me up against the likes of Ken Jennings. So that man who won all of those Jeopardy shows. And then these two other guys that had both been on Jeopardy. I, I went out in a ball of flames, but at least I had fun. <laughs> so it was pretty bad. 
I was going to call going on a game show a once in a lifetime experience. But when I rewrote the question, I took it out because I went, well, it's not a once in a lifetime experience. Ken Jennings has been on it about a hundred thousand times. And it's so funny that you yeah, bring that up. Yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. If you need a laugh, watch my episode of Masterminds. I, I didn't even come out with any money. And now I'm contractually prohibited from being on another game show for at least a year. So I think that really is a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. <laughs> It's also funny. I don't know if you were doing this on purpose, but you've mentioned two different Taylor Swift songs and some oh, of really? your answers. You've said ready for it and fearless. So if you just want to keep this going subconsciously, wow. start putting Taylor Swift answers. That's I'm awesome. Yeah, that's definitely not intentional, but I do love T-Swift. Hey everyone, so we recently discovered this fascinating series of videos on YouTube called Micah Flies, and we can't get enough of it. So his name is Micah Muzio, M-U-Z-I-O. He takes his helicopter and flies all around my hometown of Los Angeles. The overhead footage of these videos is insane. We highly recommend you give it a couple of views. Um, and if copters aren't your thing, it turns out Micah's a huge car junkie and has about 40 in-depth breakdowns on vehicles all the way from a Volvo S60 to Ferraris and Teslas. It's amazing stuff. It has to be one of the coolest pages we've seen on YouTube. So give it a look if you can. Uh, you can find him on YouTube by searching his name, Micah Muzio. That's M-U-Z-I-O. Or search Micah Flies. We love the page, Micah. Keep up the good work. And now back to the interview. I was trying to figure out something fun from your personal life that I wanted to touch on. And I try to do this for all the guests. But for you, there's about 36,000 things to choose from, from being on a game show. But one extremely unique thing about you is that uh, you were the cheerleading captain at your college, Colorado School of Mines. And then another one, there's this famous trip that you took to Maine, and you tried to take a picture of your lobster roll, and then somehow that picture got featured on Good Morning America, every morning news station. What, what yeah, happened? Okay, there? so we're going to talk about the cheerleading really quickly, then we'll talk about the seagull. Um, so the cheerle I went to an engineering school for undergrad called Colorado School of Mines, not Mimes or Mimes. <laughs> and at the time I went there, it was 23% women and 77% men. And they have a division two athletics program and a cheerleading squad. So I had never been a cheerleader. I danced, I danced as a kid, but I quit dance in seventh grade. So I hadn't danced in five years. And I get to school and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna become a cheerleader. So if there's a pattern in my life, it's, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out there and try things. So I tell my parents this and my parents are like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so bad. Like her heart's going to be broken. Like she's, this is going to be awful. So I end up making the team and I became captain my sophomore year. And so I, I think that's a lesson of don't be afraid to fail. You know, like, okay, like, cool. If I get cut from the team, fine. At least I try. What I always tell my students and my friends is you don't know unless you try. And so try, like, is there somebody that you have a crush on? Okay, cool. Tell them. Maybe they don't like you. You move on. Is there a job you want? Cool. Figure out how to get it. If they tell you no, fine, move on. You don't know if something can happen unless you try. So that's that. The Seagull story, in June 2019, I was at a work conference in Vermont, and I literally did this one-day journey where I hit most of those northeastern states. So I was literally driving, crossing the border. So I get to Maine. I want a lobster roll, and I want to see a lighthouse. Found this really famous lighthouse called Nubble Lighthouse. 
Um, when I pull up, there's a lobster shack in the parking lot. So I'm like, this is perfect. I'll get the lobster roll. And then it dawns on me. I'm like, ooh, let's get the lobster roll first. And then let's take it over to the lighthouse and get a really good Instagram picture. So let's get this lobster roll picture in front of the lighthouse. So I remember as I'm walking over, why isn't anybody else doing this? This is so picturesque. It's such a beautiful place. So I'm holding my lobster roll, getting it positioned for the picture and moving this thing around. And I thought I dropped the lobster roll. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you idiot. You just dropped a $23 sandwich trying to take a picture of it. I kind of like shirk away, hoping nobody saw what I just did. The seagulls have flown in. They're devouring my sandwich. And I go through my camera roll and I literally stop dead in my tracks because I see this picture, which has since gone viral, of a seagull swooping in, looking me directly in my eye, taking the lobster roll as the lighthouse is perfectly centered in the bath. I didn't even know I took it. So I tweeted it with a funny caption, which there is a Taylor Swift reference in here. This is why we can't have nice things, (laughs) was the caption. And it literally went viral immediately. It was 4 p.m. on a Friday. I thought maybe 10 people would care if that, like maybe I would get two retweets. I was on every morning show in the nation. I made CNN's top pictures of 2019. I had more lobster sent to me than I ever knew I could eat. But it, it was such a beautiful moment. And I think the reason why it was so beautiful is... I couldn't have planned it, Brock. I've woken up at that point every day for eight years and I created content, whether it be writing for a website, writing for my own website, or tweeting every single day in eight years. And I had two times that I went viral and my my stories have, you know, I, I have a decent readership, but nothing like this. We're never expected for this to happen. Like I couldn't have planned that picture turning out the way that it did. And so even though we need to plan and even though we need to stick our necks out there and we we need to try, sometimes the best things that are going to happen to you in life are things that you could never see coming. And there's no way you could have ever planned. It's such a perfect metaphor for you and your life and your career path. All the opportunities that came up that you were never expecting just by being in the moment at the right time. I also like the idea that the walk-on <laughs> cheerleading captain is telling me to go after my crush. So Anna Kendrick, yeah. if you're listening to this, Let's holler tagger, at me. Tagger in the tweet when you promote this. You never know. You, you literally, you never know. <laughs> you never know until you try. You have publicly said yourself that one of your favorite experiences in your career was working for the American Alliance of Football, which is such a compliment considering some of the incredible things you've done and this lifetime already. Did you get the sense that the AAF was the light that football needed and that we were heading in the right direction because the league's no longer intact? Yeah, that was a bad day. That definitely felt like somebody died. So I was a head of player career and education for the Alliance of American Football. My fourth job had a consultancy that largely deals with issues of player development and also preparation for post-athletic careers. And so I had done this the summer before with the NBPA and my mentor, who's a man named David Cohen, he's a sports lawyer. He got hired by the Alliance and he knew that I was doing stuff in player development and made me the head of player career and education for the league. 
did I think we were going in the right direction? Yeah. Like, did I think we were going to overtake the NFL? No. And that was never the goal, but we saw some pretty fundamental flaws in the sport of football. We believed that we were building a model to overcome those flaws. We looked at how football players are treated at the NCAA level and forward, and we knew that there were problems in that, and we were building a program to solve those problems. So we were building a holistic nutrition program. We were building a really solid career program, a really solid education program. And from that perspective, I do think that the Alliance of American Football presented something that the sport of football needed because football needs an overhaul. (laughs) If you work deeply in football, if you've seen a lot of football, you're lying to yourself if you say that there's not problems. And so we were a group of people who believed that football could be better. It was the most exciting opportunity of my life thus far because I had never worked on a startup at that level. And so it was really fun to be around that energy where everyone is just working for this common goal and you're you're being nimble and you're being strategic. So that was really, really, really fun. But also the mission. The mission really drove me of just believing these men are more than football players. They're more than people who can run on a field and catch a ball and make a tackle. They're men with full mental capacity who have desires and interest beyond the football field. And we were going to fully develop those things. So it literally was like a death in the family when the bankruptcy filing was filed. I I think anyone who was working in the alliance would have told you they didn't see that coming. So that that was really, really frustrating and really sad. But I think it's a good lesson to anybody who wants to enter the startup space of you need to know your investors. And we took money um, from Tom Dundon and he had a different investment strategy than the CEO of the league had set forth. And so when you're in the startup space and if you start taking money, you are giving up control. It was really unfortunate. The worst thing that ever happened to me in that experience. So I was traveling. So I would work full time at Pepperdine and then I would travel to at least one city every weekend, sometimes two to meet players and to counsel them on career and education. And I'll never forget one man who graduated from a pretty reputable university, was a captain of his program, sat down with me and said, Alicia, I'm scared. And I said, why are you scared? And he said, well, I'm playing in the Alliance. So obviously my football career is done. And nobody has told me what I'm capable of other than football my entire life. And so when we look at college football, especially at the power five level, one thing me as an educator, and I hope other educators and fans do, is they really investigate whether these men are receiving meaningful educations or are they being commoditized for their bodies to help generate billions of dollars in revenue. So I love that opportunity because I felt like I was helping solve a problem that I see becoming more pervasive in our higher education system, college athletes and revenue producing sports not receiving meaningful educations because of the amount of time that is spent developing their athletic talent. It's a unique story, right? You never hear about sports operations folding or startups. You, you think that's only something that happens in Silicon Valley. Alicia, we ask everyone who comes on the show, hot coffee, cold beer, or I guess in your case, cold coffee, cold beer. 
about their why. You know, in other terms, what is your purpose? And of all things in the world, why do you do what you do? So we're going to give you a blank space here. It's another Taylor Swift reference. Alicia, what is your why? Okay, first of all, that is one of the greatest songs of all time. So thank you. So my why really boils down to one thing. When I was a kid thinking about what I wanted to become in my life, the job, if you will, that I wanted was to help people. All I've ever wanted to do in my life is to help. And I think if you see a theme through all of my work, even my sports writing, the consistent theme is helping people. And how you see that show up in my sports writing, I'm not looking for that gotcha moment. I'm not trying to bring people down. And so I've made a personal commitment over now almost a decade that everything I write, it will be truthful, but I want to find the good in people. I I want to write things that inspire people and give people hope. And so through my writing, that's how I help people. But my why is to help people and also provide the same belief I have in myself. Um, I want all of my students to walk out of my classroom knowing that anything is possible and that they are uniquely created humans with gifts given to them that are special to only them. And what your life's journey is really about is taking your little shovel and uncovering those special gifts that you only were given. And so as I get older, My purpose expands from helping people to helping people understand the full potential of the life that they've been given. All right, Alicia, it's been such an informative session here with you. This is incredible. And I can't believe that you're giving us this for free when Pepperdine has to pay for it. So pretty, pretty amazing stuff. You can thank Pepperdine. We're going to give Pepperdine a lot of great shout outs. If you are a high school student, you should look at our sport administration program. Pepperdine, absolutely unbelievable. A coworker of mine is actually getting his master's from Pepperdine too. I'm extremely jealous. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to give you a series of quick hitter personal questions. Some of these are your sports opinions or just inside information about Alicia Jessup. We just want to get to know you a little bit. So whenever you're ready, we got some quick hitters. Let's go. Alicia Jessup, quick hitters. Here we go. What is your Netflix guilty pleasure? I really enjoyed Tiger King, which I probably should be embarrassed to say that, but I I like documentaries, typically the like one swoop documentary. What is the best restaurant in Los Angeles? There's two. So Felix in Venice or Major Domo in downtown LA. You should get the whole chicken at Major Domo. It sounds kind of gross. It's the best thing I've ever eaten. Who is the cooler college mascot? The Southern Utah University Thunderbirds or the Pepperdine Waves? Oh, that's that's tough. I haven't seen the Thunderbird. So and Willie's my buddy, so I'm going to have to say waves up. I had to ask that one. If SUU, my alma mater, has anything, it's the best mascot in sports. So I got to Thor the Thunderbird. Come on. Wow. Speaking of mascots, your alma mater, Colorado School of Mines, in 2018, introduced a second mascot, Blaster the Burrow. Is there a turf war between the old school, only new Marvin the Miner, and this new school that gets a second mascot? Okay, so this is interesting. I'm going to have to dig into this because we always had a live, like a real animal donkey named Blaster the Burrow. Blaster predated Marvin, but did they get a stuffed Blaster? They did. This is big news back in 2018. And the, com- the, the comments on these pages are, are heated. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should get a stuffed donkey when you, but PETA probably got involved or something. So that might be why they had to get rid of the live donkey. But look, I went to a really weird college. Like we would run that 
that donkey around the football field when a touchdown was scored. So it, it was weird. <laughs> it was Long live Burrow the Blaster, you know? Yeah. That's another Taylor Swift reference. There we go. Oh, wow. You're you're good at this. I'm not. I promise I'm not doing these on purpose. I promise this Taylor came Swift up. podcast. That's, that'll be the side hustle. It's a Taylor Swift podcast. Yeah, that's how you get to meet Taylor. It, that's a move. Putting it out there, you, you need to call out to your crush. Hey, Taylor, what's up? You don't know. You don't know unless you try, maybe. You don't. And yeah, if Anna Kendrick passes on this, Taylor. Yeah, Taylor will be. Hit a guy up. Taylor's fine. <laughs> if you were a major leaguer, what would your walk-up song be? <laughs> Miley Cyrus party in the USA. True or false? Dreams are just moments that remind us we're really awake. Uh, wow, that's really deep. <laughs> um, dreams are just moments. False? We try to give everybody like <laughs> this existential level crisis on these well, quick hitters. I, I know I don't have a lot of time to think about it. But I'm, I'm going to abstain from that one. What has fame from your viral photo of the Maine Lobster taught you? That there is a hunger and a thirst in this world for good news. So if you have some good news, share it. So on your Instagram, you seem to be every weekend either meeting an athlete or traveling to a new city. For these next couple questions, we're going to give you an, an athlete featured on the gram of Alicia Jessup. And you have to tell us a quick story about meeting them and the impression they left on oh, you. Boy. We'll start with Steelers great and future Hall of Famer Troy Polamalu. Best human on earth. One of the great surprises in my life that he is now my brother. Troy, Troy is one of the best men that you'll ever meet. New Denver Broncos running back Melvin Gordon. Another great guy. So I'm on the board of Melvin's foundation. Um, I'm super excited that Mel is a Bronco Mel's heart is in the right place. Uh, he has a big heart for others. He's going to hopefully help the Broncos win some more games than they won last year. Meta World Peace. Another great friend of mine, another unexpected surprise. That guy, he has my back. We were both speaking at a conference. We were, <laughs> we were in the room with another pretty famous basketball player who follows me on Twitter. And that basketball player said to me, Hey, Alicia, you know, sometimes on Twitter, you're a real B word. And Meta told this basketball player, you don't ever call Alicia that. Alicia is not a B word. Alicia is a strong woman. I love her tweets. And so, yeah, I mean, if there's somebody that you want to have your back, I will definitely take that guy. He is a gentle soul. And it really makes me mad that what most people know about him is an incident in 2004, because if you really got to know that man, he will do anything for you. So that that's somebody that I'm really proud to be friends with. Lucky for us. So, you know, being involved in the Lakers organization, he did a private dinner with some of our clients <laughs> and you were amazed by some of the wisdom that he dropped. Yeah. You have this false narrative that he is a result of some of the actions he's made in his life and the mistakes. And it's not the case. No, no. He, he is incredibly brilliant. He's really, really, really smart. He wants to learn. So like, he'll always like ask you questions and he like, he wants to like get into the depth of things. But yeah, I, I love that guy. Like if anybody ever says anything about that guy, like I'm coming after you. It's a mutually beneficial friendship there. Well, you'll fight anyone who says something <laughs> yeah. bad about him. He'll fight anyone yeah. who says something yeah. bad about him. <laughs> It's a funny little duo. <laughs> what about the story behind the first running back taken in the 2014 NFL draft, Bishop Sankey mm. out of the University of Washington? Man, so many, so many people I love. I love Bishop. So I worked with Bishop with the Alliance, and Bishop is actually pursuing law school, another 
brilliant, brilliant person, just good guy, right? Like is definitely wise beyond his years. He has a clear plan for what he wants in his life. And he's just a good person. All right. We have two more here for you. Iron Man and champion of the letter S, Mike Tyson. (laughs) Okay. So that was probably one of the weirdest days of my life. I spent a day with Mike Tyson in the summer of 2019 for a story I was doing for The Athletic. And they sent me to what is currently Tyson Ranch, which is the office for his Right now, I think it's like his cannabis label, but he is supposedly building the world's largest cannabis resort in California City, California. So it's going to have like a lazy river, a place for concerts, and you can buy edibles. I really am not sure. And he tapes his podcast out of this location. So it's a very nondescript building. And, you know, I, I grew up when Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world. I'm familiar with his past. I'm familiar with his history. If you're unfamiliar with me, I am a, like, I don't even know if I'm five foot four. I'm not a very tall person. And so I'm walking into this building alone as a female. I'm the only woman there. Like the place reeks of pot. And I'm like, oh, Alicia, like, I hope this was not a bad idea. So the publicist goes and gets Mike, brings him over. And Mike, he, he was pretty cold at the beginning. And the story was supposed to be about his business endeavors. And so my first question was, Mike, what do you want to be remembered for? And I thought this dude was going to rip off my head because he goes, what do I want to be remembered for? Like, what a dumb freaking question, right? And so I chimed in really quick and I'm like, in business. He's like, oh, okay. It was the hardest interview of my life, but I had something in the back pocket where I knew if he was just not giving me the answers I wanted, I was going to lay this car down. So about a month before, Meta had had a premiere for his documentary that was on Showtime. And so he invited me to the premiere and I actually sat behind Mike Tyson at the premiere. So I knew they were friends. And so he like he was just not giving me any answers. And I'm like, this is the worst interview I've ever done. So finally, I sat back in the chair and I took a deep breath. And I'm like, hey, you sat in front of me at Meta's premiere, which was a signal. Because if you're at the premiere, you're a friend of Meta's. And he goes, oh, you're friends with Meta? And I'm like, I go, he, he speaks really highly of you. It seems that you guys are like good friends. And at that point, it literally, whenever I listened to the recording, I was talking to a different person. He literally sat back and he goes ask me whatever you want. We got in really deep. Like he talked to me about his bankruptcy. He talked to me about the fight with his ego. He talked to me about his fears. It was crazy. So yeah, that that was a very interesting day. <laughs> and one more time, Meta World Peace. I know. Again. I so much. And the last one for you, NFL agent and actually a client oh. of mine, Lee Steinberg. Uh, okay. So Lee is someone that I actually owe my career in academia to. I don't think he would like take credit for it. So when I was interviewing for my job at Miami and really why I think I got that job, when you apply for a job as a full-time professor uh, at Pepperdine, I went through 18 hours of interviews at Miami. It was seven hours. And one of those hours is teaching a mock class. They told me that they wanted me to teach a class on sports agents. So I call Lee and I'm like, Hey, like, here's the deal. I'm applying for this job. So can I interview you and like incorporate what you would do into my lecture? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And so he literally gives me his whole playbook on how to be a sports agent. 
and I incorporate it into my PowerPoint and then into my lecture. And at the end of my phone call with him, I'm like, Lee, what can I do to thank you for the time that you gave me? And he goes, just go get the job. Go do what you're supposed to do. I I have so much respect for Lee because he basically re-rose out of the ashes. He had some tough years. He got his life together. Um, He has met sobriety head on and he's been sober for years. And it's so awesome to see the success that he is having with these clients. And I, I just continue to wish him the best because he's He's been a very, very, very great man to me and someone I'm proud to know. Some great stories in there. We got a couple more for you here. How many games will the Broncos win in 2020? Over, under, I mean, who is our quarterback? Jury's out on Drew Locke. He's a 23-year-old kid. He's still got a long way to go. I don't like how the world's crowning him quite yet, but that's what we've got. For better or for worse. So good. I think we'll win 10 games. Lakers or Clippers? Oh, I mean, that's a really political question for me to answer. So I I don't think it's fair for me to answer that because is the question like if we come back after the coronavirus, like which team's going to go further? No, it was just a trick question to see. The answer is both. I work for both. You have to say like you can't pick a side. So it was a trick question just to trip you up. Here's what's interesting, though, is I, I think the Lakers have a good chance to take it all this year. But it's like, do you want to win it all this year? Because there's always going to be that asterisk. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're pulling at my heartstrings because this is something we've been thinking about for a long time. Is I've been working my whole career, my my entire life. Like my why in sports is I want to win right. a ring. I want to be the top contributor of a team that wins it all. And then I want to give that ring to my dad. That's oh, my cool. whole purpose in life. And now here we are. Like COVID happens and COVID might slap a ring off off my finger. So the question is like, would you have rather won it like everybody else got right. to win it? Or would you rather just not win it at all? I'll take the ring however I can get it. It's not the same, but man, what I would do to get that life yeah. moment fulfilled, I don't care any way it possible that it could happen. I, I just yeah. want to see him win. But it is funny, right? My friends who work for the Utah Jazz, they're like, I couldn't imagine if the Jazz finally pulled it off and it was under these circumstances. Like, how am I supposed to feel? But my personal belief is just get it done. Just It's all about rings, <laughs> know, right? Let's do it. I think it'll happen. You'll get it. Taylor Swift, overrated or perfectly rated? Underrated. I think because she's so successful, you see this with really successful people, right? That people, like, look at LeBron. People criticize LeBron. And I'm like, okay, when, whenever you look at people criticizing LeBron, they're really criticizing his greatness. And I think she's very underrated as a songwriter. I think she is the best female songwriter of all time. She's able to grow up with her fan base and she can sell out arenas around the world. So I I think she's underrated. And lastly, where will we see Alicia Jessup in two to three years? Uh, Hopefully you'll be at my book signing. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great way to, great way to end the show. Alicia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and everything that you have obtained over these 16 <laughs> jobs that you have every day. Like your students are just so lucky to have you to, to learn from. And we're really lucky to have you to learn from. And we had the best day with you today. There's the last Taylor Swift really today. Feel free to plug yourself on Twitter and on the gram. Thank and you. So I had a blast. And I'm really looking forward to joining you for your Taylor Swift podcast. You can, you can be the very first guest. You okay. and Nikki Glazer, very awesome. first guest on the show. <laughs> Thank you.
Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beers, independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, and partners.